0: Well, I have a confession to make that for the first part, many, many years of my life, when I thought of Christmas and Jesus Christ, I went as far back as Matthew or Luke, and it never occurred to me to go all the way back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God... In this series, we're looking at hymns in the New Testament, which is pretty remarkable in and of itself that so quickly after Christ was born, hymn writers emerged who wrote poems that made it into the letters of Paul and others. So that is what Emily has read for us this morning, and this is what we discover, a hymn, a poem It's a pretty complex poem. I remember being in in, in college class and um, studying poetry. I honestly didn't enjoy it, Uh, trying to figure out why the poet said what he said and how he said it. But this morning, uh, as we look into this text, we're going to discover that the way this poem is written, this hymn is written, is absolutely critical we're going to discover two characteristics of Jesus that pre, uh, one predates his birth and the other postdates his birth. They make up the two stanzas or the two verses of this hymn. First of all, we discover that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. That word image is an interesting word. It's where we get our English word icon. A couple years ago, we had a young lady, uh, an exchange student, who stayed with us from Ukraine, and she went to the Eastern Orthodox Church in Ukraine. Worship for her wasn't personal. As a matter of fact, the worship services were in a language she couldn't even understand. And when she prayed, she thought she had to have an icon, an image, which she kept in her room. And when she would pray to God, she would bring out this icon, this image of a saint, and pray to God through that image. What we discover here is that Jesus is the icon, he is the image of the invisible God. Up until Jesus, God has not been seen by human eye. In the Old Testament, God said clearly to Moses, you cannot look on me and live. And so it pleased God to manifest himself in the very person of Jesus Christ himself, making Jesus the icon, the image of himself. Now there's an interesting word here, it's firstborn. If you've ever encountered Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to take you, interestingly enough, to this passage to try to prove their point that Jesus was not God, creator. Jesus was created by God. And they'll go to firstborn. Why? What does the word firstborn mean? It means one who is born first. And so when you read the word firstborn, your natural reaction is to go, oh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That was his beginning. He does not predate Bethlehem, or if he does, he predates Bethlehem as a created being not as one who has always existed and so they'll take you to the book of Colossians they'll go to John 1 which we covered last week and they'll try to marry those two texts and as they bring those two texts together they're attempting to debunk the uh, Christian teaching that Jesus is God in human flesh Let me just give you a couple of problems in case you encounter them, as I have before. Let me give you a couple of problems with their argument. First of all, is context. You must interpret Scripture where it comes, and this is a hymn. John 1 is a hymn. Their other place where they go is Proverbs, which is poetic stuff. All of this is poetry. And when you look at poetry, words mean different things when they are in a rhyme, when they're in a poem, than they do when they are simply by themselves. So firstborn in a poem can mean one thing, and it will mean another thing when it is simply in teaching. As a matter of fact, the argument totally falls apart when you get down to verses 17, 18, and 19, because it says he's the firstborn from the dead. And if that means born first, how can you be born first from the dead? It's a figurative term which means preeminent, first in rank, first in importance. And so it is used in poetry. As a matter of fact, if you look at Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament, you'll discover Esau was born first, but Jacob is, gets all the privileges and rights of the firstborn. And he is referred to as the firstborn, though he wasn't born first. He is referred to because he is first in rank in right and in privilege. Jesus is the firstborn over all of creation. How do we know that? Verse 16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, here's what you got to do. And I I want to take you on this journey so badly, so you got to hang with me. Either Paul wrote this hymn or someone else wrote it and Paul put it in his God, Paul had sung it and he put it in this letter to the Colossians. But whoever wrote this hymn had a great command of the Old Testament. Here's how we know. When I was in Hebrew class in seminary, we had to memorize the first uh, uh, verse of Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created. Now, it's interesting. That phrase, in the beginning, is one word. It's a contracted word in in Hebrew, and the in is the preposition. It's bereshit, if you want to tuck that away. Uh, In the beginning, that little bear, that's the preposition, and it can mean three things. Don't miss this. If you're writing down notes, this is time to nerd it up, okay? It can mean three things. It can mean in, for, and through. In, for, and through. It can have those three different meanings because the Hebrew, as the Greek language is so rich, you cannot almost always translate a word into one English word. It usually takes three or four, or it can have three or four meanings. It can mean in, for, and through. Notice what the hymn writer does with prepositions. Let me read it again. For by him, or in him, some of your translations render it, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. The three possible meanings of that in the beginning, that preposition, all show up right here in this hymn. The writer is intentionally traveling all the way back to Genesis 1 and you could then go back and look at Genesis 1 and you might could read it like this. In Christ, God created. You could, you could read it like that. As a matter of fact, there is an Aramaic translation of the Old Testament that says it just like that. In Christ, God created the heavens and the earth in him. Creation was, uh, Jesus is the agent of creation. He is the object of creation. He is the subject of creation. All of creation is about and through and by and for Jesus Christ. And so you see this here, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So creation, you can see heaven and earth, but all the stuff you can't see, dominions, Powers, all of those things that are invisible were created by him and for him. Notice this, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Not only did Jesus create, but he's the glue that holds all of creation together. He is this stuff that holds it all together. So what I did this week was to email Mike Spath. We call Mike our resident nerd here at Grace Mike is biology professor. Uh, He knows all things biology. And then Andy White, Dr. Andy White, is physics professor and a member here at Grace. And so I said, I'm talking about uh, Colossians 1 Sunday and how Jesus holds all things together. Could you send me some information? And of course, they were glad to do it. Here we go. All right, so I know for some of you college students, this is uh, at the end of uh, your semester, so I'm going to crank out some biology for you. Some of you may be familiar with the protein laminin. You may have uh, seen Louis Giglio's little deal on this, uh, quite profound. But the protein laminin is an interesting point because it is a protein that holds together uh, the uh, uh, tissues and cells uh, within the human body. You may not know that laminin, uh, as it has been discovered in its microscopic form, is cross-shaped. It is, that protein is in the shape of a cross, and it is the glue that holds the cells and the tissues together. And this is what Mike says, so put on your intellectual uh, seat belts and listen in. Matter at the atomic level is held together by opposite charges, like positive protons and negative electrons. And then he says chemical bonds, like covalent, ionic, metallic, and hydrogen bonds, hold atoms together to make molecules. Proteins like laminin are held together by peptide bonds. Then laminin holds macromolecules and even cells together. Now stay with me. Jerry, I'm not going to remember this. Mike has a point, okay? Anchoring junctions hold cells and tissues together. Large pieces of matter are linked by the force of gravity, which is transmitted by gravitons. Gravitrons, so there are many structural levels at which the universe is held together. Mike says, it's like the fabric of a shoelace woven together. The fibers of the shoelace hold the shoelace together. The shoelace itself holds the two sides of the shoe together. Mike goes on to say that there is so much connectivity, togetherness within the way creation works. It is at the tiniest levels of creation and it is at the largest cosmic levels of creation that it all is held together. We seldom think of that, do we? We just assume we're all going to stay on planet Earth. We just assume that gravity on a cosmic level is going to work and that the cells in your body aren't going to fly all to pieces today. But your ability to sit here and my ability to sit here is because of a protein called laminin. It is because of electrons and neutrons. It's because of all of these forces that are working to hold us together. Now, according to Colossians 1, there is somebody behind that, and his name is Jesus Christ. He holds all things together. You see, my fear is this. My fear is that we approach Christmas and we think of a baby who came through the birth canal of Mary and we so leave him in the manger that we fail to remember that he preexisted his birth by being the agent and the object of creation. He is the firstborn, the preeminent one who ranks first over all of creation. He is the firstborn over uh, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Dr. White talks about four fundamental uh, forces that hold all things together in the universe. Gravity, uh, electromagnetic force number two, a weak nuclear force number three, a strong nuclear force number four. He says the weakest is gravity. Isn't that interesting? The weakest is gravity, which holds people to the earth, as well as the atmosphere, animals, water, satellites, etc. It also keeps planets in orbit around the sun. Many atoms are bonded or held together by the second, the electromagnetic force. It is much, and he has that underlined, stronger than gravity. Interestingly, Interestingly, he says contact is never made between objects because of the EM force. For example, if a car runs into another car, they never actually touch. I tried to tell my parents that when I wrecked their car when I was 17, and they did not fall for it. All right? If a car runs runs into another car, he says, they never actually touch. The crash or the force that damages the car is the repulsion of the electromagnetic force, he says. By the way, he's going to be leading a, a class uh, on Sunday nights on apologetics next spring here at Grace. It's going to be amazing. He says it is just that strong. The weak nuclear force, number three, is responsible for radioactivity and also the energy released in the so-called hydrogen bond, bomb, which is the strongest nuclear weapon. He says the strongest force, number four, is the nuclear force, responsible for holding the nucleus of every atom together. If a nucleus is broken apart, the force is released in various forms of energy. Get this. If all of the nuclear energy in 1, 1,955 pounds of wood were released, It would be enough energy to provide the electricity needs of the entire United States for one year. That is the power of the nuclear force that is holding that 2,000 pounds of wood together. That is the power of that. He says, interestingly, originally it was believed that electric and magnetic forces were different forces. But now it is known that there are actually different manifestations of the same force, the electromagnetic force. Later, it was also discovered that the electromagnetic and weak nuclear forces were different manifestations of the same force. They are clearly the same force under extreme conditions such as the conditions present at the start of the universe. Still yet, it is now known that the electroweak and the strong nuclear force are also different manifestations of the same force. So the electric, magnetic, weak nuclear, and strong nuclear have been unified into the same force. Only gravity now remains separate of the four, but there is growing evidence that it is, in fact, united with the others as well. It's called the string theory. So he says, so it seems to suggest the entire universe is held together by one grand force. Isn't that interesting? That science is arriving at this pretty remarkable scientific explanation of Colossians 1. That Jesus Christ holds it all together. Amazing stuff, amazing man, this Jesus is, lest we think he is this innocent little baby, which he became, lest we think that is all he is prior to coming through the birth canal, of Mary. He was keeping gravity in its place, electromagnetic forces, weak nuclear and nuclear forces all together so as to keep a couple thousand pounds of wood from blowing up and destroying the earth. What an amazing Jesus he is. Here's what's interesting. The writer of Colossians 1 then goes from Jesus, the creator of the cosmos, To Jesus, the creator of the church, as powerful and important as Jesus is in creation, so he is in the church. He puts the two on the same plane. They're held as parallel works of God. Say, Jay, what does this mean? please hear me. The church does not exist to entertain you. No. This means that we haven't gathered together this morning for ourselves. If Jesus is the one who holds, if he's the one who holds creation together, then he is the glue that holds the church together. That means he is the Object of our worship. He is the subject of our worship. He is the direction of our worship. It isn't about a light show. It isn't about great music, though great music is wonderful. It isn't about a pastor. It isn't about facilities. It isn't about a budget. It isn't about all of those things tradition that church has come to be. It isn't your favorite spot with your name on the end of the pew. It's none of that. It's all about Him. Amen? That's what the hymn writer says. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 18, what did Jesus say? Upon this rock, who? I will build my church. This is his doing. You're his work. And you are equated with the grandeur and you're equated with the complexity of creation. Holding the church together is no small feat, We're a bunch of crazy people, all right? This is what Tim Keller says, this is, I agree. The reason it is so hard to be church, look at the junk we drag into this place. I mean, you come in here and some of you have had horrible uh, childhoods. Many of you have. And, and this is the place where you got to talk that out. This is the place where you get real with life. You're open, you're honest, you're real. And so no wonder we struggle to get along with each other at times. No wonder it's hard to be in small group and be totally transparent and say, hey, this is who I am and this is what I'm going through. Jesus is this uniting, powerful force that holds it all together he is the head of the church head of the body the church the firstborn from the dead what does that mean is Jesus the first human being to rise from the dead no no this is where the Jehovah's Witnesses argument about firstborn totally falls apart no he raised Lazarus from the dead prior to his own resurrection He is the first person to rise from the dead, never to die again. Lazarus died again. Poor guy, right? He went through death once, had to go through death again. Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again. He's preeminent, preeminent in the resurrection category. He Is unmistakably God in His resurrection. That's what the hymn writer says. He's it. Verse one. He's he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's this cosmic uh, glue that holds it all together. Uh, Stanza two of this hymn. He is the he is the head of the church. The firstborn from the dead. He died for you. He died for the church. Paul would say in another place, he gave his life for the church. Why? That in everything he might be preeminent. All right, so that presents a problem if you read well. If you read critically, you say, well, Jerry, I thought firstborn meant he's preeminent, and now you're saying that he's this uh, so that he will be preeminent. Isn't that kind of an endless circle? Isn't uh, uh, the hymn writer playing games with us? No, he isn't. He isn't. It is one thing, it is one thing to be preeminent, to possess the character of preeminence. It is another thing to demonstrate that same character. Uh, we might add, parenthetically, that in everything he might show himself to be preeminent. His preeminence was made clear through the through creation. Yes. But wow was it ever made obvious through the resurrection? That showed. What he already possessed, it showed uh, his essential character who he really was. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, we trek one more time back to Genesis 1. In the beginning. That word beginning, also in Hebrew, has four meanings. Four words that it could be translated as. And they're right here in this text. Beginning, sum total, head, and firstborn. Where do they occur? Verse 17, and he is before all things, he's the beginning. And in him all things hold together, he is the sum total. And he is the head, there's the word head, of the the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, there it is. That word beginning in Hebrew, all four nuances of that word are here, In this text, in Christ, God created. He predated his birth by an infinite amount of time. Say, Jerry, why does this matter? Here's why it matters. Because... It shows his greatness up against our smallness that the infinitely awesome, powerful creator of the universe who has been holding it all together would become one of us. Why did he do it? The reason he did it. Was to reconcile. That's why. That's what the writer says. And through him. To reconcile to himself. All things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace. By the blood of his cross. Let's talk about reconciliation for a moment. This is how we'll end. He. He did all of that to reconcile. What reconciliation isn't is as important as what it is. Reconciliation is not the undoing of something gone bad. It is not the undoing of it. For example, there are couples in our church who have been separated and have now reconciled. It is, and and applaud you for it, it is God's heart for you. Don't miss that. When you reconcile, it is impossible to undo what has already been done. You can't do that. Oh, that you could, but you can't. You can't go back and and push rewind and erase the affair. The affair is there. It cannot be undone. You cannot erase the neglect. You cannot erase the, heart, the harsh words. Uh, reconciliation does not undo what has been wrongly done. So if it doesn't do that, what does it do? Here's what reconciliation does. Reconciliation redoes what was done wrong in the first place. All right, couples who make it in reconciliation at some point decide not to focus on everything that was wrongly done. At some point, couples who make it in reconciliation decide to forgive what was wrongly done and begin to do it all over again. That's what they do. If they don't do that, they'll never reconcile reconciliation is a redoing of what was wrongly done all right let's then take this and apply it to the work of christ jesus work on the cross did not undo all the sins that you ever committed oh that that would be the case it did not do that if so and you're an alcoholic, and you come to Christ, your liver would immediately be healed. But that isn't the case, is it? It isn't. You could still have sclerosis of the liver. If you come to Christ having been sexually abused by your parents or physically abused by your parents, uh, those memories are not erased. Oh, that they could be. They are not Reconciliation does not undo what sin did. Reconciliation redoes what has been wrongly done. That's why Jesus looks at you and says, if you are in me, you're a new creation. Old things have gone and new things have come. All right, and that's why we're surrounded by a bunch of redos, amen? Anybody a redo in here? Oh, yes. Oh yes, I, I, I could tell you, wouldn't really want to, but to tell you who I used to be before Christ and the characteristics I used to possess before Christ, wouldn't really want to do that, wouldn't want to put them all on the screen, but I could tell you he's been doing a work since I was 15 years old and went forward that night and realized my lostness and my wrongness and how I was so arrogant and how I was so full of Jerry Lewis and God began to do a work that night that he continues to do today. That is the ministry of reconciliation that Christ has begun in us. And Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to do do what class? Complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That is the work of reconciliation. Jesus is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead that he might reconcile reconcile. Saw this evidence last night. I'm singing just a, uh, one song in the community chorus concert. Just one song that I'm singing. And so uh, just privileged to sing with that choir. Singing at three o'clock this afternoon at Greenlee. You should go check that out. Just one song. Last night I'm sitting on the front row with Danny Hampton and uh, three inmates from the minimum security prison. In many places, in many places, you bring those three guys in who perpetrated whatever crimes they have, and everybody would pull back and and hands off and say, I don't want to be a part. But if the church is truly the reconciling ministry of Christ, things ought to be different, amen? They ought to be different. So this choir sings beautiful music. Susan is in that choir. Emily's in amazing, beautiful music. Then Danny gets up with these three guys, and they are following that beautiful music. And the honest truth is that that choir is more polished. There is no doubt about that. But he gets up and these three guys get up and Howard has been directing and he knows music and Danny knows music phenomenally well uh, and he's directed these guys and they begin to sing one of the most beautiful renditions of O Holy Night I've ever heard in my life as this inmate standing on the end with dreads. Big, husky, African-American belts it out. And what happened in that room that had not happened all night is when they got to the end of their singing, the entire place was on their feet, applauding three inmates. Why? Because the church cannot help, please hear me, but be reconciling. If Christ is the head, if he is the source of the ideas and the thinking and the heart we cannot help but in that moment think, this is what God intended. Amen? He's given us that ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because he rose from the dead. Not only does he do it, not only is he, does he do this with human beings, he does it with all of creation. Don't miss this, praise team. Come on, because we gotta sing and get out of here. But he 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 does. I could preach like for thirty more minutes, but he does this with all of creation, all of creation. Don't miss this. When you go outside, uh, when you leave this place and go outside and look at creation, are you ready? Creation alone knows what it was like before this. Creation knows. Creation existed prior to the fall. And Romans 8 said creation does what? Groans and longs. So we're going to sing the most unlikely old hymn to be sung at Christmas. Let's stand and sing.